Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Today, Titus Kennedy is here, ready to affirm the authenticity of the Bible with the latest archaeological finds from the land of the Bible. Friends, as we begin today, I want to remind you that we are here for you. We have staff ready to pray with you, whether by phone or through our special email address. 1-800-652-1144 is the number to call with your prayer needs. Or you can use prayer at swrc.com. That's prayer at swrc.com. We truly believe that prayer changes things, and we are here for you. While the historical accuracy of the Bible has long been a topic of debate and has fallen under increased scrutiny in recent decades, new archaeological discoveries from an expanding host of ancient sites found in Bible lands continue to provide evidence of Scripture's reliability. Here with the latest information and evidence is archaeologist Clayton Van Hus and today's guest, Dr. Titus Kennedy. Thank you for listening to Watchmen on the Wall today. We're glad you joined us. I'm your host today, Clayton Van Hus. And we are joined today by Dr. Titus Kennedy, archaeologist, professor at the Discovery Institute and at Biola University. Dr. Kennedy, welcome to the program. Thank you, Clayton. Glad to be here. Well, great. So I want to ask you a few questions. We want to get to know you, and then we want to talk a little bit about some of your work and uh, one of your books that we are carrying and offering to our listeners. But first of all, I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself. You're an archaeologist. So what got you interested in archaeology? Well, I have been interested in history in general since I was a kid, since elementary school. But there were two events in third and fourth grade that sort of opened up my view into archaeology. And the first was I was on vacation with my family and my dad ended up taking us to this archaeological site where it was a reconstructed village and some excavations that had been preserved. And so that was kind of my first time ever seeing an actual archaeological site and seeing that there are ruins preserved from centuries ago and that we can find those by digging. But I didn't learn too much about it at that point. The next year, though, my teacher gave me a book on the excavation of Troy by Heinrich Schliemann, and that was my more in-depth introduction to archaeology, where I really understood that there are still these cities out there where archaeologists can go and excavate, and they can find the ruins and find new historical information to add to our knowledge. Before that, I think I sort of assumed that we had a lot of old historical books and writings And that was our source for what happened in the past. I didn't realize that all these physical remains were out there. So I really loved that. I was very interested in learning more about archaeology and its connection to history. I also like science and their, of course, scientific aspects of archaeology. And and so that first got me into it. And eventually I started to see and learn about more connections between archaeology and the Bible. Yeah, so let's talk about archaeology and the Bible. You are, in fact, a biblical archaeologist. Can you tell us what directed you 
in that direction, going with biblical art. And what is biblical archaeology? Well, first of all, biblical archaeology is just a subset of the larger discipline of archaeology, and it focuses specifically on archaeological connections to the Bible. So there are lots of different subset branches of archaeology, whether it's North American archaeology or Mesoamerican archaeology or British archaeology, Roman archaeology, etc. Some people even have thematic or topical subsets of archaeology. So biblical archaeology just focuses on the connection to the Bible. And that can, of course, be a large thing, spanning many different regions and time periods. Most people with biblical archaeology sort of focus on the Holy Land. And I would say that most tend to gravitate towards the Old Testament period because there is more time involved in that. But really, it can be anything connected to the Bible. There's a little bit of a debate going on these days, or has been for some time, that I think the listeners will find interesting, and that is that some people now don't really like the existence of biblical archaeology or, or the term biblical archaeology even, because many, especially some in the academic community, they look at the Bible as just fairy tales or religious propaganda and not as a valid historical source. And they see biblical archaeology as some sort of a religious fairy tale movement that is very you know, unscientific and unacademic. And so some want to, to get rid of biblical archaeology or remove the name and make it just geographical, you know, archaeology of, of the Levant or Israel or Syro-Palestine or all sorts of different you know, ideas like that. But as we can see, and as we'll talk about today, there are so many different discoveries in archaeology that demonstrate the Bible is historically reliable, and there's, there's no reason why we should stop calling it biblical archaeology. That's a very good point. So where are you digging now? I am currently excavating at a site called Shengavi in Armenia, and I'm also on a hiatus from excavations at Kerbet Etel. Two projects, but one is frozen currently due to political and war issues in the Israel-Palestine area. And so I'm, I'm digging in Armenia, which actually happens to be an area mentioned in the Bible as well, even though it's not often realized by most people. Right. There's some fascinating things that happened up there. So you mentioned Et-Tel. Do you mind to tell us what Et-Tel is or what it's proposed to be? Kerbet Etel, that's the, the name of the archaeological site. So most sites have a site name and then either a historical name or a proposed historical name. Some, some sites we don't have any idea, but Kerbet Etel is traditionally or, or generally identified with the site of I or AI in the Bible, mentioned in Genesis and Joshua at the very least possibly also later on as well. And some people would know this from Joshua 7 and 8, because it's one of the cities that was completely destroyed and burned by Joshua. But also Abraham is there, or at least he, he goes right next to the city. We don't know if he entered it. So it's, the, it's one of the main candidate sites for I. Some people put 
the eye during the time of Abraham at Kerbet Etel and suggest that the eye during the time of Joshua was a, a smaller site very nearby called Kerbet El Mokatir. Anyhow, Kerbet Etel is a massive Bronze Age city that's about 27 and a half acres surrounded by a large wall. It's got a temple up on the Acropolis. And then in the Iron Age, there's a much smaller village there, so an Israelite village. So those are some of the, the basics of that site. Yeah, it's a fascinating site. I got to I had the opportunity to listen to you present on the site a little over a year ago at a, a conference, and it was fascinating stuff. Let me ask you some questions about your work and about the Bible. We look at the Bible, we know there's a war going on today between skeptics and believers, but based on the archaeology, do you find that what's in the ground matches up with what we read in the text? Oh, yes, absolutely it does. And of course, we're not going to find everything, and we're not going to find a correlation to every narrative within the Bible. But we have a surprising, I think, a surprising amount of discoveries that connect to biblical narratives and substantiate them as historical events, in some cases very, very clearly, and in other cases they fit the context of the biblical story and period very well. And I'm also confident that as more archaeology continues to be done, that people will find more and more evidence connecting to other sections of the Bible or clarify evidence and material that we've already found for for stories or people or places that have been confirmed. That is great. Here's a question. Why is it important for people to know about biblical archaeology? Well, I would say there are two main reasons for this. One is that biblical archaeology is instrumental in showing the historical reliability of the Bible from external evidence, from external sources. And so if people are wondering about or questioning, is the Bible just fairy tales, parables, theology, but not any history, it's all just sort of made-up stories, then archaeology can show us that the Bible is, in fact, a book that contains much history, not just theology, and that the people, places, and events it's talking about actually happen, and we have evidence for many of those. The second item, I would say, is that biblical archaeology helps to illuminate the ancient text and context of the Bible. It helps us to better understand those ancient times, places, and people. And this can aid us in our general understanding. It can aid us in our interpretation. And in some cases, it even helps in translation. Wow. So there's a lot of value in studying the Bible through, through archaeology, the illumination that it provides. So we're talking today with Dr. Titus Kennedy, who has written the book, The Essential Archaeological Guide to Bible Lands. And that is a fascinating book. I've actually been using your book already in some of the projects I'm working on, but it's The Essential Archaeological Guide to Bible Lands, Uncovering Biblical Sites of the Ancient Near East and Mediterranean World. When we read in the Bible about the land, which we today would call the Holy Land, Israel, Palestine, ancient Canaan, the Levant, 
there are other areas. And you mentioned earlier you're digging in Armenia and that these areas are mentioned in the Bible, but also your book deals with huge areas of land. In fact, it begins over in the cradle of civilization in Mesopotamia. Can you tell us what is considered to be a Bible land? I would call anything a Bible land if it is a geographic location or area in which biblical events happened, in which events or or stories in the Bible are set. Of course, we start in Mesopotamia. If you go back to Genesis, we have mention of many locations in Mesopotamia. And so that's where I, I started the book, like you said, in the cradle of civilization. Persia nearby as well. We have biblical events and and Egypt and the Levant and Anatolia and the Mediterranean. So there are a lot of different geographic regions where biblical events happen. Typically, though, these are not looked at except for the Holy Land. That is usually the focus. Some look into Egypt, some look into certain aspects of the Roman Empire, but when I was doing research for this book, and even before that, when I was just contemplating what would be a good topic to address, I noticed that very, very few publications address places in Mesopotamia or Anatolia or even some locations in Egypt. And, And so I thought, well, there might be a niche here to fill. Yeah, absolutely. There's a ton that can be gleaned from going to places. Well, Mesopotamia, we're talking about the land of the patriarchs, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so looking at these other areas can help us to put the Bible into a cultural and historical context that makes it maybe a little more understandable. Can you tell us how your book helps the average churchgoer to understand more about the world of the Bible? Sure. So I focus on some of the most important and most interesting, at least to me, archaeological sites. Of course, I couldn't do every single location that is listed in the Bible, but I tried to target ones where major events occurred, significant events, and biblical characters were were living or crossing through. And so I gave, I wouldn't call it necessarily an overview, but, but a sampling of major sites from these different areas. And so if people want to learn about ancient Mesopotamia and its connections to the Bible, then they've got something on that in this first chapter with the cities Uruk, Babylon, Nineveh, Ur, Haran, and Susa. And of course, as you said, this is the homeland of the patriarchs. Of course, Babylon is also a major factor in the life of Daniel and the end of the kingdom of Judah, Nineveh, with the divided kingdom period and then Susa and the book of Esther. So it does cover many connections throughout the Old Testament. And I think that this can help people to get a better understanding, better context of those stories, of those biblical characters and the, the places in which those books are set. And you know, they might not get that information from a lot of other biblical archaeology texts, because as I said, usually their focus is not on places like Mesopotamia. Sure. And one of the interesting things about looking at Mesopotamia is there are a lot of charges levied against the Bible today that it has just stolen 
myths from other cultures, particularly Mesopotamia with some of the, the early texts, some of those cuneiform tablets that have been found that talk about creation and the flood. Can you tell us a little bit about, did the Bible steal from the cultures around it? My personal opinion, based on what I've studied, is that no, the Bible did not steal stories from other cultures, and specifically we're talking more about the earlier chapters of Genesis, creation, the flood, Tower of Babel, Table of Nations, things like that. And I think that you can answer this question, at least in in one way, by just looking very closely at the different texts, reading, reading them and comparing and contrasting them. And you can see that Genesis is very unique in comparison to these other primarily Mesopotamian texts, but we also have some from Egypt, Canaan, and, and even Greece. But there is no way to really clearly show copying of these Mesopotamian texts into Genesis. Sure, there are some similarities, and yet there are many, many differences, especially when we look at things like theology, worldview, the creative process, the gods that are named, the focal points of the story, and so forth. And my explanation would be that there is common knowledge throughout the ancient world of some of these early events, and so people wrote creation epics or creation stories and flood stories and so forth, and they infused their own theology and their own civilization center point, such as Babylon and Marduk, into the story so that it connected to their culture and their beliefs. But they didn't just have you know, one Mesopotamian source, and then everybody copied off of that. And that makes sense. I, I like the fact that you brought up that, yeah, there, people are always pointing out the similarities in these texts, but they never seem to point out the differences, which are far greater. And I think it does point to a common history that these texts are sharing with the Bible that they're talking about, but just from that other point of view. What are some of the obstacles that you face, whether from academia or just difficulties in researching and doing archaeology in these lands? The most difficult thing really is to do an archaeological project. Of course, you can research even on your own time. If you want to get funding or, or publish an article or something, that's, that's a different story. But as far as doing, say, a, an archaeological project, a survey or an excavation, you've got to go through the process of acquiring permit and raising funding and getting over there and actually doing the project. And the, the barriers that you're going to run into with that are many. First of all, and I'd say the biggest one is probably political and ideological opposition. And on the political side, this can just be a result of different governments not getting along and not liking each other. And so that can present problems. For example, if you wanted to do a, an archaeological project in Iran, and you are an American citizen, that's not going to be happening right now. And then say you want to do a project in Israel, the political issue wouldn't be there, 
in that case, but you may have some ideological opposition or Jordan or Egypt or something like that. They're not going to be necessarily agreeing with your view on the Bible as a historically reliable source. Sometimes that that also connects to the political, and other times it's just a cultural thing or it's in academia. So academia in general is opposed to the Bible as a valid historical source. And so anybody who's looking at doing biblical archaeology is going to be taking a lot of heat and criticism and opposition from academia. So that is the, the biggest difficulty to get through. After that, I would say finances. It can be hard to raise money for archaeological projects. It used to be different many, many decades ago. I think there, it was a lot easier to do that. Now it's become much harder to do that, much more challenging. And then the third one I would say is security. Of course, going to the Middle East where there are a lot of biblical sites, there are many security issues. And sometimes this prevents projects from going through. Sometimes it just means you've got to get special insurance. It may mean that you don't have as many people who want to come and work on the site because they might be concerned or maybe their institution doesn't want them going there. So. Those are a few of the main obstacles. I understand that last one very much, as digs right now are facing issues in Israel because of the war. Uh, We are talking with Dr. Titus Kennedy, author of the book, The Essential Archaeological Guide to Bible Lands, Uncovering Biblical Sites of the Ancient Near East and Mediterranean World. We are going to be back tomorrow to talk a little more with Dr. Kennedy about his book and about digging in the Middle East right now. Dr. Kennedy, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. My pleasure. We have much more from Titus Kennedy coming up on our next program. Today, our resource spotlight is on the excellent book, The Essential Archaeological Guide to Bible Lands by Dr. Titus Kennedy. The Essential Archaeological Guide to Bible Lands offers the most geographically extensive overview of archaeological sites from all of the regions relevant to the biblical narratives. With information from excavations and research both old and new, this thorough guide from archaeologist and professor Dr. Titus Kennedy will enthrall you, will inform you, and will encourage you. Order the Essential Archaeological Guide to Bible Lands today when you call 1-800-652-1144. You can also order on our website, swrc.com. This book includes expert research and analysis of archaeological evidence that illuminates and corroborates historical narratives of the Bible, the essential archaeological guide to Bible lands. Staff evangelist Josh Davis comes now. WorldCoin launched in July 2023 and just released World ID 2.0 in December 2023. World ID 2.0 adds facial recognition software to help verify who people are. So what is this WorldCoin? According to their website, WorldCoin seeks, quote, to be the world's largest identity and financial public network, end quote. At its core, this WorldCoin is a digital currency. It's designed to give everyone access to the global economy. Users have to download the World app. Yes, that's a real app, the World app 
And once users have this mobile app, they can set up their account and access a digital wallet that works with WorldCoin and other digital currencies like Bitcoin. To unlock access to more features and to be eligible to get the free WorldCoin tokens, the user has to move on to step two, which is to sign up for a World ID. So how does this sign-up process work? Well, according to the website, quote, a person must sign up for a World ID by visiting a WorldCoin operator and verifying their unique personhood at an orb, end quote. And that begs the question, what is an orb? And this is where the story, I believe, goes to a whole new level. According to the website, quote, the orb uses iris biometrics to establish an individual's unique personhood, end quote. Further, they state, quote, the orb is an imaging device that verifies you are a real and unique person who has not previously received a world ID. It's necessary because it's the only secure way of reliably determining uniqueness and personhood while also preserving privacy, end quote. So how does the orb accomplish this? It's a small round unit that scans the iris of users' eyes, and it creates a unique biometric ID. WorldCoin chose this method of identification because everyone's eyes are unique, and it makes it extremely difficult to steal another person's identity or to create a fake account. So increased safety, decreased fraud, decreased identity theft. All these are the promises of this emerging biometric technology that seeks to transform the global economy as it helps the world move to a cashless society. Please note, WorldCoin is not, again I say it is not, the mark of the beast. However, it certainly appears to be another step toward a one-world cashless economy just as Revelation chapter 13 describes, that it's going to be the cornerstone of the Great Tribulation. And this world is being conditioned to receive the mark of the beast with each passing day. And I think that's one of the key words to all this is the conditioning of our thought processes, of how we react when we hear news and information about new products that are coming onto the scene. Many people launch and jump at those new, shiny, objects, the new emerging technology that we got to be on board with. We don't want to be left behind with technology and the information age and all that's changing. We got to get with the program. But don't let this news trouble you, dear friends. Remember the words of Jesus to his followers found in Luke 21, 28. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. The Essential Archaeological Guide to Bible Lands will aid in your search for answers, serving as a travel guide and a resource for investigating the context and historicity of the Bible while vicariously visiting many ancient biblical locations. This 480-page hardback book includes over 200 full-color photos that show ancient ruins and bring the Bible to life. Order The Essential Archaeological Guide to Bible Lands today when you call 1-800-652-1144. You can also order on our website, swrc.com. Tomorrow, Titus Kennedy will return with more archaeological evidence from the Bible lands. 
Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.